0: Welcome to Inspiration Loves Company, a podcast about doing better and being better at life, work, and everything in between. I'm your host, Debbie Epstein Henry, a lawyer turned entrepreneur, public speaker, and author. I'm so glad you're here. Our guest today is Erica Keswin. Erica is a two-time Wall Street Journal bestselling author, internationally sought after speaker, and workplace strategist. Erica has been gathering the science and stories of successful human workplaces for over two decades. She helps top businesses, organizations, and individuals improve their performance by honoring relationships in every context, always with an eye toward high-tech, for Human Touch. She was named one of Marshall Goldsmith's Top 100 Coaches in 2020, as well as one of Business Insider's Most Innovative Coaches of 2020. Welcome, Erica. So great to be with you. How are you? I'm great. I am great. So glad to be here with you. Terrific. And thanks to our mutual friend and former guest of Inspiration Loves Company, Lindsay Pollock, for connecting us, of course. So I want to focus our conversation today on the key messaging from two of your recent books. Bring Your Human to Work and Rituals Roadmap. Congratulations on those. Thank you. Yeah. So let's start with your impetus for writing each of these books.
1: Great. So, wow. When I was writing Bring Your Human to Work, which was well before we had heard of, of, you know, the pandemic and and COVID-19, the the main impetus for writing that book was the impact that I was beginning to see technology having on my life, sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as a workplace strategist, I remember going into workplaces and meeting with people and having, you know, partners in law firms say, you know, I don't really understand. Um, My associates are, they are asking me if they could call into meetings from down the hall, you know, what's going on here? You know, why why do they not want to come and have that, that human interaction? And as I've always been a connector and I really wanted to delve deeper into understanding you know, why creating a more human workplace was not only good for us as humans, but also good for the bottom line of our companies and how those two things are not mutually exclusive. So that book came out in 2018 and I didn't set out right away to write another book, um, I, I actually have three kids and I equate book writing to, to childbearing in certain ways, and you kind of forget the pain and suffering and then you go back and do it again if you have more than one kid. And I um, was at a dinner one night and it occurred to me that when I interviewed a lot of leaders for Bring Your Human to Work, a lot of what they talked about in the ways in which they created um, a more human workplace, which I know we'll, I know we'll get into those details, they were actually referring to rituals. And so that was sort of the interconnection between the two books. And and that's how they came to be.
0: It's interesting, the connection with bringing the human to work and also the rituals. It kind of reminds me, I've done a lot of interviewing of the years of Gretchen Rubin, the happiness expert. And so she initially focused on happiness and then went to habits and how the habits are reflective of people's happiness in their lives. And it's very analogous, actually. Yes. Yeah. And I'm a big Gretchen Rubin fan. So let's get into actually, what do you mean by bringing your human to work? Because I don't want to use that term lightly. It really, the way you talk about it really is a term of art.
1: So bringing your human to work, if I were to boil it down to a, to a sentence, it's about honoring relationships. And it's about honoring relationships really with, with everyone in your life, from your colleagues, to your boss, to your coworkers, to your direct reports, your customers, your clients you know, family, friends, but also honoring that relationship with yourself. And I think people often, you know, forget that. And, you know, in the workplace, I mean, that really is, is the litmus test, you know, to me, that when you are at what I call the fork in the road and you're trying to make a decision, do I hire this person, fire this person, do I, do I buy this new business? If you can think about those decisions through the lens of, of your values and through honoring those relationships, I believe that nine times out of 10, it's going to get you to the decision, you know, that that ultimately is right for you and your business and yourself.
0: And you mentioned hiring, and I'm glad you did at the outset because employers are really struggling right now in not just recruiting, but of course, retaining top talent. And I'm wondering what your recommendations are really to create a level of loyalty and engagement and culture in the workplace right now, because, with the hybridity, it's something that I think employers are particularly challenged by.
1: Yeah, that that is. The, I would say you're right. That is the number one thing on leaders' minds right now, and I have, I have many thoughts on it. Um, one is really understanding what what people want, and I think that's changed over time. You know, right now people do want to feel that they have some sense of flexibility, given what we've gone through over the last you know couple of years, but at the same time. You know, this is the challenge. They want flexibility, but they want, and I would say also need, that, that human connection. And so that is, you know, that's the challenge that I put out to leaders to say, you know, how do you do that? Now, I, I, um, I wrote an article, which was in Harvard Business Review just a few months ago, and I called it "Onsites Are the New Off-Sites, How to Design a Day in the Office That's Worth the Commute. And to answer your question, if you want help in recruiting and retaining people, here's what you don't want. Let's start with that. I call it, (laughs) I call it the recipe for resentment. Now I live (laughs) in New York city and let's say, um, you know I have somebody that lives in New Jersey, Montclair, New Jersey. And this is actually based on a true story. And she drives in or takes the train and is, you know comes into the city and she gets there and no one from her team maybe one person from her team is there and she's doing the exact same work that she could have been doing from home. So that is the recipe for resentment. What we want when we think about recruiting and retaining talent and building engagement and culture is to you know, figure out whether we want people to come in one day, three days, two days, whatever it is. And I'm, you know, that, um, that can differ. But what needs to be the same is to be intentional about what happens when people are connecting, both in the office and on online. But you know, when you come in, have those points of connection, have an all hands, give everybody lunch, do a service project, encourage people to meet with their leaders.
0: I think it's so important. And I think we're kindred spirits on this because I have my own version of your recipe for resentment. I call it the resentment test. Uh And sometimes it's when I'm on a plane about to leave for something and I'm thinking, wait, am I resenting this. I shouldn't be resenting it. This is something that I want to be doing. I'm constantly applying this resentment test also in my volunteer work, making sure it's the impact work I want to be doing for the communities I want to be doing it for. So I think having the discipline actually for all of us to apply that to ourselves can be really important. And what you're talking about is that intentionality, I think is critical. A lot of employers are calling it now anchor days, but having that decision for this department to be in for these deliberate days. And like you said, it may be one, two, three, it may vary per employer, but it's having that plan and then executing on it in a way that's respectful of the employees. So they feel like, yes, my time is valuable. And when I am in the office, it is bringing more additive value than if I were working at home. Right.
1: I don't know if you saw this. I I have to say, I wish I came up with it. I didn't, but I love it. Um, some people are changing their, um, they're out of office messages. So we would we'd always have, you know, I'm out of the office, I'm on vacation, or I'm doing X, Y, or Z. I'm on a plane today, you won't be hearing from me. Right. Some people now are shifting that to an in-office message that says, I'm in the office today, so you won't be hearing from me. Because to your point, when I'm in the office and I'm having an anchor day, I'm in there so I actually can connect with people and I can walk around and I can You know, not sit in my office banging out my email. So by the way, you may not be hearing from me. So I sort of love that.
0: Yeah, I love that too. I actually haven't received one yet, but I may be sending some of those out myself. So thank you for that (laughs) tip. We're talking about convening with colleagues and otherwise. And I know you've also written about the importance of gatherings and ritualizing that. And I've read Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering, which talks about that as well. And I just wonder what your thoughts are on why there is value in ritualizing gatherings. And what exactly do you mean by that? I love that book, by
1: the way, it is a favorite. It's one of those books you can just keep reading. So let let me share. So this is, let me give you the definition in your audience of what a ritual is Mm -hmm. um, just to sort of set the stage. Sure. Um, In my book, there's, there's three parts of a definition of a ritual. The first is with a ritual, there's, there's, it's something to which we assign a certain amount of meaning and intention. It's sort of part one. Part two, there's typically a regular cadence. It could be something that we do every day. It could be something on our anchor days that we do it once a week. It could be once a month. It could be once a year. The third part, though, is really interesting. A ritual is something that goes beyond its practical purpose. So I'm you know, sitting in my my home office, and let's say all the lights go out and I light a candle to see what I'm doing. You know, that's not a ritual. But if I light a candle on Fridays at six o'clock to signify the end of the work week and the beginning of the weekend, um, to, to especially as more of us are working from home, you know, there there's that it, it's that demarcation between the workday and the home time, but I'm not lighting that candle, you know, because I can't see anything, right? So there's no practical purpose. I do it on Fridays and there's just meaning in it for me. And so that's the definition of a ritual. Now, what do rituals give us? Um, in the book, I call it the three Ps. Rituals give us, number one, a sense of psychological safety and, and belonging. The number, so, you know, The second P is rituals give us an opportunity to connect to purpose. And when you add those two Ps together, you get an increase in performance. So on a personal level, when we feel that sense of connection, with each other, at work, at home, our kids, ourselves, our oxytocin, that feel-good hormone goes up, our stress goes down and at work, I mean, there's tons of studies, I won't get into them all here, but collaboration goes up by as much as 47%, productivity goes up. So that just sets the stage of why ritual, it's sort of the ROI of of why we're even talking about rituals at work. So So when we get together, again, whether that's in person or all of us on a Zoom or Microsoft Teams call, and And we're gathering. It's even more important, I think, when we're online, to have those moments, to have those rituals to sort of bring us together in that moment. So a couple of examples, you know, at Eileen Fisher, the clothing store um, company, they ring one of their rituals is they ring a chime before every meeting. and it kind of settles people. And it takes let's let's take away what was going on outside before we were all on this on this call together. And in that moment of ringing that chime, again, it's easy, it's accessible, it doesn't cost anything, but it brings everyone on that call to this moment, and it 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 connects people. Um, and how do you know it's a ritual? You you'd really miss it if it wasn't there, and it would almost feel weird if if that chime didn't happen. Toyota, for example, um, you know they they bring alive some of their values in these rituals in their meetings, and they. Um, talk about a safety tip or a safety moment before every meeting. And so those are just a few ideas of, of how when you gather, um, you can bring alive sort of the mission and the vision and this, this moment of making people feel more connected.
0: Those are such great illustrations. And it's interesting how these rituals can be borrowed from other traditions. And they seem to be something that you could do for yourself or you could do as part of a community. So you mentioned Friday evening, lighting candles, of course, that's the Sabbath in the Jewish religion, or hitting a chime before the Eileen Fisher meeting, of course, is is taking that from the yoga tradition of meditation. I love the idea of doing that and incorporating that into your life. You mentioned those three P's and one was psychological safety, the first one. And I want to hone in on that a little bit more because one of the things you talk about in terms of rituals is how to handle rituals in turbulent times. And I think so many people are struggling, feeling like their lives have been upended. So what do rituals look like in turbulent times and how can our audience use those rituals to gain a greater sense of control and comfort?
1: Well, by definition, what's amazing and so special about rituals is that they do bring some order, you know, out of, out of chaos. When, you know, everything started, um, you know, cheering on the frontline workers, you know, in New York city and other cities, people would tell me that at seven o'clock at night, when when people were banging the pots and pans, they would, that's when they would go out for a run um, to be able to hear that and to have that consistency. And it, I mean, in New York city, it really gave people that sense of psychological safety and belonging that they were connected to something bigger than themselves. And that second P, that sense of purpose that they took part in cheering on those, those frontline workers. Um, you know, a really interesting workplace example is Allbirds, which um, I don't know if you have any sure. of their cool felt sneakers. But when I, asked, when I asked them about, you know, what are your company rituals? Um, the first thing that came to mind for um, one of the co-founders was this really fun, cool ritual called 40 at four. And the ritual is... Um, you know, rituals can come from anywhere, top down, bottom up, inside out. And this ritual in particular, um, it was just organic and authentic to the company. This guy went to the doctor and he wasn't feeling great. And he came back to the office and he said, you know what? I need to set some health goals for myself. I'm gonna do, you know, X amount of push-ups between now and the end of the year. He divided that number by the number of days left in the year, and it came out to be 40. So he had to do 40 push-ups between that day and the rest of the year to hit his goal. So what did he do? We started doing them in the office. and the guy next to him joined, and the woman down the hall joined. and then somebody else joined to watch the push-ups, but they weren't doing the push-ups. and it it just became a thing. And every day at four o'clock every, you know, it's sort of the healthy version of the smoke break where everybody kind of stopped and, and chit chatted around the proverbial water cooler. And during the pandemic, I was able to circle back to them and say, oh my gosh, you know, 40 at four really was such a strong ritual and people look forward to it. I said, what's going on? And they said, well, it is still going. And they would rotate who would lead 40 at four and people would make videos from home. And they shared a hilarious video with me, with a woman um, who was, you know, doing squats and exercises, like holding her cat and made this video and had a disclaimer that said, you know, no domestic no domesticated animals were hurt in the production of this video, but I, I got to see the video and the impact on the people. And again, some people will say to me, oh, this is the soft stuff. And I would say in these moments, and as we move forward, the soft stuff is, is the, can be the hard stuff, but the really important stuff. And when people saw these videos, it was like, wow, I feel connected there. Everyone was home alone. They're connected to their greater Allbirds community. And back to this purpose of, you know, I, and it's such a mission driven company. It's like, I know why I'm getting up every day and, and doing what I do. So, you know, with intention, you can do these rituals in person, you can do remote, and you can do them everywhere in between. And there's my dog. Yeah. I have rituals with my dog. There you go.
0: <laughs> so fitting. And with no danger to any animals, including your dog. But I wanna stick with this proverbial water cooler for a moment because in Bring Your Human to Work, you talk about how, quote, space matters and how, quote, curating connection starts with the water cooler. In my own work with clients, I've found that a lot of what people have missed in the workplace Are those natural transitions that we had in our day when we were commuting to work and stopping by the water cooler, grabbing a bite to eat with a colleague, and all of those natural transitions in the day that we don't have as readily when we're working from home? And so I wonder how do you update that recommendation that you had around space matters? What does space look like now? How have you changed that recommendation?
1: So I think a piece of it's the same um, because we have those, you know, to your phrase, you know, the anchor days. So You know, you want space to matter even more than it did before, especially if you're only in one day, two days, or three days versus we used to be in five days. So it goes back to being really, really intentional about what happens on those days and creating those those moments and remembering that that also is part of work. Here's the other thing that's really important right now. You're doing it during the workday. Don't have all the connecting time after work. You know, that is another, I would say, let's put that in our recipe for resentment bucket. So to really utilize the space through the lens of of your values. Um, I would say, you know, how do we think about space when we're not in the office? Um, you know, companies are doing a variety of things, whether that's helping people, if they're working from home full-time, create a more inviting space, you know, making sure that they can invest in having, know a nice place to work tricky in new york if you're living with four roommates um but i now don't view space as just this physical manifestation i think we need to shift that the space i mean we we are in a common space you know right now and so when you're having let's say a team meeting and all of a sudden you're in a common space it's less about that physical water cooler and what can we do to curate connections before we get to business?
0: One of the things that I think is so important also underscore for our listeners is the importance of leaders modeling the behavior that they want their team to exhibit. That's the other element here is, In the spaces that you're interacting with, whether it's an in-person day or hybrid or virtual, that the leaders exercise the behavior that they want their team members to emulate and they're true to it. And I'm curious if you've had experience in that regard or there's anything you want to add to that?
1: Well, I
0: could not agree more.
1: Um, I actually was doing a a client event recently and I pushed back pretty hard because they they wanted people to come in three days a week. And then one of the leaders said, okay, but we're going to be in four. And I said, no, you need to do the opposite. Like if you are in four, then there's this, this, this pressure. And again, you're dealing with, you know, the great resignation and you don't want to lose people. And so you know, that you're, you know, I completely, I, I completely agree with you. And so, you know, you, you want to have these, um, I actually write about an, an, a company and bring your human to work called dynamic. It's a um, consulting company in Philly that also had sort of these rules of the road, you know, no emails after, after a certain time or in the morning, unless it was sort of, you know, mission critical and people and, and people, it's more important now than ever, because the data shows that even though we've, many of us have been working from home, we're, I think it's something like we've been working, you know, 13% more, we're in 20% more meetings. You know, we have been working more as a society. So it's, and, there, and we're not, many of us not commuting. So you don't have that natural demarcation. So what you're talking about is even more critical than ever before.
0: And what we're really talking about, what's underlying these rules and different strategies is really about well-being. And I know that's an area that you've been focused on for some time now. And I'm wondering what your recommendations are for employers to support greater well-being more readily and also for employees, what strategies do you have for them to prioritize well-being more? Yeah,
1: well, and it is, and and it's like full circle. It goes back to where you started the conversation with me. Which is what is bringing your human to work, which is about honoring relationships, and honoring relationships is honoring, you know, all of that, and making sure that there's a that there's a support for for well being. So that to me, I mean, there's there's a number of things. There's companies a huge focus on um, from a from a programmatic and benefit perspective that that organizations now are providing wellness and mental health benefits. Um, that's just a piece of it i would say that even the more impactful piece is is having managers be and leaders be vulnerable and be open to sharing windows into themselves the leaders who really were able to communicate more often using a variety of mediums you know on zoom writing letters you know these missives um, talking about the business, but really ta- bringing more of who they were, their employee engagement scores had never been higher. So one leader in particular is um a guy named Avner Mendelson, who they just sold the company, but it was he was the the president of Bank loomy USA. and during um the pandemic, he started writing a letter every Sunday, and that became a ritual. I mean and and it it really fit the three p's, right he was able to gave people that sense of of belonging and psychological safety and was linking back to the purpose but there was a big piece in there of wellness and it was okay everyone you know I, i'm i'm struggling I, I don't know when i'm ever going to be able to go see my 91 year old father <coughs> excuse me in israel and i'm worried about my kids like and their mental health and it was in writing i mean this was out there for everyone to see and bill konigsberg the ceo of horizon media he started a letter, um, actually, every day wrote something called the Bill Daily. And he shared with me, he's never done anything where he'd gotten more positive feedback that so many of the younger people that work at Horizon Media would share his date Bill Dailies with their parents. And he started getting emails from everybody. And so again, it, it it's there, in all of these examples, there was this wellness piece built in that was giving people permission to put their own oxygen mask on first and to share those stories.
0: And what it's also about is personalizing professional development, which is something that you talk about. It's something I speak about a lot as well. And I see it particularly, again, in the leadership context. What does personalizing professional development mean to you?
1: It's asking people how they want to grow and develop. Sort of up, down, and sideways, and having conversations, you know, with them about it. So, you know, it can taking professional development personally can can take on, you know, many different hats and go in a variety of different directions. You know, it's everything from, um, you know, a company who recently said, you know, we're going to give everybody sort of the, the Myers Briggs or, or get to know them, sort of their working styles, and talk about it, and to help them hit the ground running. And see where they want to grow, and also maybe where they need that growth and using that in combination with with their managers. It could be saying to them, this is your, you know, this is your job and, and we're hiring you for this, but you know, are there other things you want to learn and maybe adapting, you know, what Google coined back in the day, sort of this, the 80-20 rule where 80% of your time is spent on X, Y, and Z, but you 20%, you get this really cool side hustle to grow on the job. And I'm glad you brought this up because I think that if companies don't lean in on taking professional development now and, and really put some resources toward it and creating almost this internal ecosystem of, You know, you can go from this side of the business to this side of the business. You know, you always hear about the manager that wants to like, that has an awesome um, employee, like a best athlete, and then they hide him or her in the corner because they don't want the other person to recruit them away internally. Well, you know what? All bets are off. If you don't create that fluidity inside your own company, that person is going to leave. And we have seen it. And so taking professional development personally is, is even through onboarding, asking them, you know, what drives you, you know, what kinds of things do you want to learn about and why wait a year or two to build that in? And at least these days, that's way too late and really bringing the personal
0: and the professional together. It's so true. And I think coming back to the original conversation, we started today talking about recruitment and retention. Employees want to be invested in as people, not just as workers. And the employers who are fearful and have that approach to coveting their employees, they're gonna lose them because they're gonna go out the door. So it's really embracing all the strengths of them and then investing in them as people and understanding that if they do leave, ideally their experience has been so positive with the organization that they'll be the wonderful ambassadors and clients and customers of that organization and feed in the next group that are going to come in in terms of talent. Yeah, no, I
1: totally agree. And I think what's interesting, we can even link that with your prior question about wellness. And I've been doing a lot of research and I'm obsessed these days with, with onboarding, especially as we've been onboarding so many people remotely, but, but, you know, Ariana Huffington talks about how at Thrive When they're bringing people in, they'll ask them this question, you know, what do you like to do outside of work and how can we support you? And so I think professional development is similar. So as you're onboarding and recruiting people, like, why wait? Like, if you know that, you know, someone's child has like, you know, violin on Wednesdays and you really want to go hear the last 10 minutes of the lesson, or you're dealing with an elderly parent or a dog that you got during the pandemic, you know, whatever it is. Have some of these personal conversations in the beginning so that you as an employer can meet them where they are, which I do believe, A, it's the right thing to do, B, it's honoring relationships, and C, it will help with recruitment and retention
0: and and the bottom line. I totally agree. And I love that example. And I think the idea is also in the past few years, understanding that life is so much more integrated than we've ever really embraced. And now it's just confronting that front on and seeing all the benefits of that and being more realistic about what the full panoply of issues are that employees are facing and how an employer can be supportive and in turn benefit from that additional dimension that they learn about their employees. We've been talking about humanity and rituals and all the benefits, but even if you master all those things and you're really successful in integrating that in your workplace, what does it not get you? In other words, what else is missing that still needs to be unearthed in the workplace when you have integrated these suggestions?
1: None of this is ever, it's never perfect, right? We're humans and we can't, you can't predict, you know, how all of this shakes out. So I think what if it's what's missing but where we we still need to leave room for as much as you know we can plan there's always other things that are going to happen so we could think that we're going to have this all perfect and laid out we have our rituals and we've created this great workplace but we need to make room or leave room to be agile and to be flexible and and to be serendipitous So I think we're always going to need to, you know, you could plan out maybe 70%, but you're going to need room for that to be able to adjust to all the different, you know, think about all of the, um, you know, all of these different variants with COVID, right? Like we could have all the plans in the world and all the rituals for marching right back into our offices, and then all of a sudden we're not. So I think that's almost this, you know, metaphor for you know, life's just going to continue to change and that we need to make, leave room to change along with it.
0: I think that's a great perspective on it. I interviewed recently Susie Essman, the comedian on Curb Your Enthusiasm, and she talked about the improv nature of the show. (laughs) And one of the things I loved is she talked about how the lessons of a comedian, you have to balance being prepared but also being responsive and being flexible because you never know what's coming through. And I think as non-comedians, we need to be thinking about that, You know, hearing the ideas and feedback from people and understanding that we're always learning, we're always growing, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to try to incorporate that knowledge and be better as we continue to be agile, as you described.
1: You know, one thing that that brings to mind, which I think is really important you know as companies are are leaders are thinking about this return to office strategy or communicating it i think it's so so important to communicate it to your point through the through this lens of vulnerability and you know we've never this is something new and through the lens of experimentation and not going and saying this is going to be the end all and be all that that if i think if you can approach this through the lens of we're all experimenting and give us your feedback and we're probably going to take two steps forward and one step back kind of lowers the stress level and the pressure that like, this is what we're doing and it is set in stone. And we just know that's not the case. And you're always going to have people that don't agree with the approach that you're taking. And I think that also takes the the pressure off and the anxiety for them saying, Oh my God, I gotta look for a new job because this is what they're saying, versus we're gonna give this a shot. And and we know that there's gonna be changes and iterations and approaching all of this through the lens of of wellness, through the lens of experimentation, um, and and through the lens of you know, we're sort of all in this together, figuring it out.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I think the the magic word here is pilot and continuing to get feedback and knowing that the circumstances are changing, as you indicated, and being open and receptive to that ongoing feedback and need to change as a result. We are just out of time. I want to conclude with one more quick question asking you if there's anything I've missed or gotten wrong or anything you want to highlight as we wrap up this conversation to really inspire our listeners to seek more humanity as well as more rituals in the workplace. Yeah.
1: So people will say, well, where do I start with this? And what I would say is to ask yourself from the workplace perspective, this question, if you're, if you're not sure about rituals and and how to you know, either see if you have any that exist that maybe you're not calling rituals or maybe to create new rituals. So everybody that I interviewed, I asked this question, you know, when do you feel most Allbirds-ish, Chipotle-ish, LinkedIn-ish, you know, law fill in the blank, you know, law firm, um, and see what comes to mind. And that, you know, more times than not, will be like, oh, I feel the most Chipotle-ish at- you know, ten fifteen in the morning when I work at Chipotle and we all have a meal together before the doors open at 1030, or it could be on, board. it could be all of these different things and rituals in your own life. I would say, you know, ask yourself a question, what do I do in my life that makes me feel most like me? And that's sort of the starting point to begin to think about where to bring some rituals into your lives personally and at work. And the last thing I'll say is beginnings and endings are what I call prime rituals, real estate. So when you're thinking about the beginning or an ending of a meeting, you know, we talked about Eileen Fisher and Toyota, the beginning or ending of a project, the beginning and the ending of a podcast, right? It seems like this is a question, you know, you ask people, what did I miss, right? And that's the way you bring it together, which I love. Um, and so again, these are places where, okay, you're all thinking that you're listening today, where do I start? And, and those are some great opportunities for places to start.
0: I love the beginnings and endings in particular. And I think so many people focus on one or the other, but they don't focus on both. And I would just add- Yeah, to really bookend. And if you can thematically bring it back at the end, I think it's a real power punch for the audience and for your community, whoever you're interacting with. You've given us so many great things to think about, Erica. I really have enjoyed our conversation and want to encourage our audience to go to your website www.ericakeswin.com and check out your books and thank you so much. What a pleasure! It was
1: great. I feel like we've, we could have we could have
0: kept talking for another hour. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to do a separate podcast on lighting and furniture arrangement because that's what we ultimately get to on a lot of these. you're <laughs> well, nice in the furniture back, there, <laughs> so that's kind of cool. I want to thank our incredible podcast team producer David Seth Cohn and Precision Pictures LTD, and of course, the amazing Renee Green. If you're enjoying Inspiration Loves Company, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate and review us, and tell your family, friends, and colleagues. Oh, and one more thing. Be sure to join us next time.